So actually, I met Ben when I was like 12, and he was the intern or something at our, my, my home church uh, before I wanted anything to do with Jesus. But that had no reflection on Ben and his ability to <laughs> spread the gospel everywhere he goes, because uh, here we are. I, I'm really excited. My husband and I are on our way to Florida uh, by ourselves. We left my 10 and 12-year-old at home, and they've called me every hour to make sure that I'm okay. Uh, Addie asked if I would turn around last night and come tuck her in. I said, sure, I'll be there at 8 a.m., no problem. Uh, so they're, they're adjusting, and here we are. Uh, I'm really excited to share with you today. I'm going to uh, jump in because I want to share so many stories with you about what the Lord has done in the past couple of years in the lives of our family. Uh, and I just want to have enough space for that. So Psalm 126 in my opinion, the Israelites had a real advantage over us when it comes to traveling and transitioning and going into new spaces because this was the custom that they grew up in. Like from the time they were very young, the children were, t were taught to pack their stuff up uh, numerous times a year and make their way to a different location, uh, whether it was for the Feast of the Tabernacle, whether it was for uh, a celebration, whatever the journey was for at that specific time, this was known to them. They transitioned, they moved, they grew up in a culture where they followed the Lord uh, in a cloud or by a fire, uh, and they knew and they positioned themselves in such a way that they were good transitioners. They, were, they had a culture of transition. Now, we don't necessarily grow up at, with that as our culture. Like even driving here last night, it's fairly easy to drive eight hours when your kids aren't in the car. Um, it's actually something that is nice. And uh, Dave has a great new company car which has uh, leather heated seats and like three different like levels of heat can get to my body. So I'm transitioning here and I'm traveling and I'm journeying and my, my whole body is nice and warm. Um, but the windows are down all at the same time. So it's fabulous. I've got my iPhone hooked up to uh, the Apple CarPlay. I can tell Siri what to do. She'll read me my text messages. I can tell her who to respond to and how to respond. Like, I don't know if I could be any more comfortable. Like, it actually was more comfortable in my car than it was once we got to the hotel. Like, we transition very comfortably or we don't do it at all, right? We don't get and pack our whole families up and walk to a new location for days and hours just because that's the culture we're in. That's not what we do. We go out of our way to go to Disney and plan multiple meals and pay for them in advance so we can just show up and have everything planned for an entire week. Why? Because we want to know what's coming and we want to be comfortable while we're doing it and we want to, it to be easy. And so transitioning for us in our culture and in our, si our society looks very different than it did for the Israelites. Now Psalm 126, as you know by now, is a song of ascent. So these are worship songs that the Israelites, they, they sang and they worshiped as they, as they journeyed, as they traveled. Now Psalm 126 is the most simple one, but it's simple enough that the depth can easily be uh, missed if you just read over it for what it is. It's actually this, it's what they call a bid-fid structure, which means uh, certain verses mirror other verses. So what the Israelites were doing, as you read this, I'm about to read it to you, but what they're doing is they're praising God for what he has done, but they're also prophetically praising him for what he will do. 
So there's praise and there's prophecy in their praise. So when they, when they go into these worship songs, they're proclaiming his past faithfulness, but they're also prophesying about his future faithfulness. Because why? Because they live in a constant place of transition. They're following not themselves or their comfort, but they're following their king. And they know that not only has he brought him, them from something, but they're going to go towards something. It's the gospel. The gospel was and is and is to come. It saved us from something, but it also saved us for something. And so because of that gospel truth in our lives, we can not only uh, praise him for past redemption and past uh, resurrection, but we can praise him prophetically for future redemption and future resurrection. So worship really says something when it's done in the light of something that hasn't yet happened. And when we leave one place and we journey to another, we're in this space between. And the space between is a gift to us. It is a gift given to us where we can learn to partner with the Father who knows what we don't know and will give us the ability to praise what we can't see. It's such a gift to have space in between. Because you know what's easy? What's easy is to step into something when you know exactly what it looks like. What's easy is to go to Disney and have every single thing planned out minute by minute, hour by hour, and get a thing around your neck and have full access to everything you need in a minute. What's easy is to depend on what we know and where we're going and to, to literally be able to look ahead and tell you every bit and piece of what is to come. But what is a gift is to know and be connected to the Father who has the ability to do all of that for us. You know, as, as a parent, there are things that I don't tell my kids. Not because I want to keep things from them, but because I don't want to busy their minds with unnecessary things. And when we as parents, we come into difficult transitions, my kids need to know what they need to know to get from here to there. But I don't water them down with all of the details of the mess of why we're leaving one place and why we're going to another place. Because why? Because they don't need to necessarily get worked up over those details. It's not for them right now. And we have a perfect father who is even better and more, more gifted toward communicating to us what we need to know when we need to know it. And the gift of the space between is that he already knows what we don't know. And if we're connected to him and trusted in him, then we can trust that what he makes known to us is exactly what we need to know in that space. And Psalm 126, it goes like this. Follow along with me. When the Lord restored the fortress of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we were filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out with weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Okay, the Israelites needed this song of God's past goodness because the reality was not all future transitions are going to be something that they celebrate as they walk into. So they were praising his past faithfulness, but they were prophesying about his future goodness. They were believing and celebrating what he had done, but they were praising and worshiping him for what he will do. New beginnings are like this. Even when they're planned and wanted, they're still not easy. 
So the space between is this space that we have for praise and prophecy because the reality is we have a father who's always working. Like he's always working everywhere you go. He's there. He's present and he's doing something. And our invitation as sons and daughters of a dad who's always working is to notice him and to recalibrate our lives to join him. What this says to me is there's always an invitation to transition from what we're doing to what he's doing. And I don't know about you, but if God is in the room and he's doing something, even when I'm doing something good, I want a heart that lays it down to join in what he's doing. So I don't, I don't know if you know this book. This is the book that I hate. But um, where's Waldo? Did anybody have these? Okay, whoever the genius is that made this up um, is a, probably a millionaire. And I think, why can't we just make a book like this and then have all the money that we need to plant all the churches that we need? Uh, but that's not what the Lord has for me yet. So uh, here's how this works. If you don't know what this works, here's a kid's book, and there's millions of them. Because uh, the reality is you never don't know where Waldo is once you find him. So you get to the end of the book, and you can't unprogram knowing where Waldo is, even if you try. So you have to go buy another one. Like, you just, the book is useless after you've gone through it one time. Like, you might as well hand it on. Like, genius. Genius. So, here's what happens. You open this book, and you're on a search for this little man in a white and red um, shirt. And it makes me feel sick just to look at this. But for some reason, when I was a kid, this was the best thing ever. Once you find Waldo, though, you open this up, and there's all of these treasures on this page that you can begin to collect after you have found Waldo. So, let, let me say it like this. Waldo is on a journey in each page, and once you find him, there's an invitation to find all kinds of things on that page. And I, I just think this so greatly reflects the transitional journey that the Lord has us on. I think that he puts us on a page, and sometimes it's a new page, and sometimes we've turned the page, sometimes we've stepped into it on our own accord. Other times, people have turned the page for us, right? They've literally kicked us out of the page that we were just on and put us on this brand new page. And it just takes a little bit of space to find yourself. Like all of a sudden, what you knew is not what is, and where you were is not where you're going, and everyone looks different. And uh, though you might have the same clothes on, you're in a culture that you don't understand anymore. And in this new space between, you're going to struggle at first to find yourself, and you're going to look all through that page for yourself. And you're going to try to find your footing, and you're going to try to find who you are here, and you're going to try to find who you're going to be here, and you're going you're gonna to try to find the, the God that puts you here in the midst of all of this, and try to find what he sounds like on this page, and try to find where he's directing you on this page, try to find what he has for you on this page. Once you've found yourself, you circle yourself, or you, or you try to do it in a way that you can erase it so that you can give this to someone else so that you didn't just spend, you know, 25 bucks on a book that you'll never look at again. But uh, once you find yourself, you open up to the back page, and on the back page, there's this list of all kinds of other treasures that you can find. And so then you found yourself on this page, and then you begin to start finding all of these other things on this page. And then your space between begins to be the life that you didn't know you got to live in a place that you didn't know you got to be. And all of these great things are here. And some of them look like trials and some of them look like temptations and some of them look like treasures. But, but every single one of them are out adding value to the page that you're on. And over and over and over again, we're given opportunities in our life to turn pages. Sometimes people turn them for us. Sometimes we turn them for ourselves, but the reality is the question is not will your page turn. The question is how will you respond when it does? 
Will you go kicking and screaming and grumbling and complaining? And, or will you go prophesying and praising? Will you go trusting and believing? Will you go anticipating and expecting? Or how does God do this? When he comes to Abraham, listen to, you know what he says to Abraham. Listen, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to leave everything you've ever known and every person you've ever known. Take your family and go to a place that you don't know. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you the name of it. You just start walking and I'll tell you when you get there. So there was this great invitation to journey with God to a new location. But there were no details to go with that. Because the gift of the space between is the gift of relationship. It's of developing a trust and an intimacy of the person that puts you on the page. Because God is sovereign, and even when somebody else turns my page, he only allows it to be turned because he knows it's exactly where I need to go. And so even when you think that you can disrupt the plans that I had for my life by abruptly turning a page, he already knew that page was turning. And he's already been to that place and he's already planted those things and prepared all of the, the treasures that he has for me. And so I can go confidently praising and proclaiming what he's about to make known to me. Sometimes this is like a physical move when our pages turn. Like sometimes we physically have to uproot and move. And sometimes it's more of a spiritual thing. Sometimes it feels like a physical, a spiritual uprooting of our hearts and shifting our hearts from one thing to the next. But either way, when you turn pages, it is a moving of yourself. It is a relocation of yourself. So whether you're doing it physically or whether you're doing it spiritually, when the Lord says, listen, over here was good, but over here is where God is. And so I'm going to need you to transition yourself and turn into this place, whether it is physically or spiritually. It is still the same to us. It actually, I think in my experience, can hurt sometimes more to stay in the same location physically, but be invited to transition spiritually, which is much what our story was about. Um, gosh, I don't know. It's been about three and a half years now. I was out running. I was training for a marathon, and I, was, I got up that morning, and I um, half marathon, just to be clear. Nobody has time to run 18 miles for a, one run in one day. And that's just your training, not to mention when you get to the marathon, you have to run even more than that. So, uh, but that's just a side note because I got a, a text this morning from a friend like, have you decided to run the full with me? And I'm like, no. No, I'm not doing that. So I just said that out loud to all of you so I can say that to her. Uh, I'm running, and the goal that morning is just five miles. Just five miles. I know the route. I run it all the time. That's my usual run. That's not a long day. That's a short day. I run this path all the time. So I'm out on my run. It's early in the morning, and I, I'm coming up on mile four, and I'm rounding the corner, and I felt in my spirit, I felt like, I felt like the Lord said, turn left. And I was like, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't turn left at this path, and I'm arguing with the Lord in, inside of myself while I'm trying to run. And, and I felt like in my spirit, I just felt the urge to turn left. And I remember thinking, like, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. I don't want to turn left. The path doesn't go left. The, I would have to get off of the path and go up the highest hill in the neighborhood. And, and it's a construction zone. Like, they're building all of these new houses there. Like, it's messy and it's muddy. And I would have to slow down. And, and like, I don't want to. And then I realized, like, I'm halfway up the hill and I'm still arguing with him about turning left. And I get to the top of the hill and, and I realize, okay, if God's invited me to do something, he has something to give me. And so I started asking him, like, what is, what is this? Like, what is this about? And felt the 
power of the Holy Spirit. Like, if it wasn't, like, 6 o'clock in the morning, I mean, I probably already looked crazy because I'm, like, talking out loud at this point. Like, I needed a journal, but I'm, like, dripping wet with sweat and trying to, like, remember everything that I feel like he's saying to me because I knew that it was important, and I knew that he was letting me in on something. And so he proceeds to say, Kristen, listen, I'm about to ask you to step off the path. And it's not going to make sense. And it's going to seemingly come out of nowhere. And it's going to feel like a left turn up a hill in a construction zone. And you're going to walk away from what you've all already known all of your life. And you're going to have to slow down your pace. And you're going to have to pay really careful attention to where you're stepping because there's debris all over the place. And you're going to be a little winded. But you're going to get to the top. And we're going to come back down that hill. And I'm going to bring you back to that path. I'm going to bring you back to that path on the other side of the street. And you're going to pick up right where you're left off. Only, only you're going to have had this space between. You're going to have had this time that is necessary. Because you're not who you need to be to go where you're going. And I need the time on this page to develop some character within you. And and I remember like running in the house and I couldn't write fast enough because I just felt so, I, I just felt so overcome by the Holy Spirit. And I'm just writing and writing and writing because I know this is important. And uh, I'm, I mean, you can see my journal, I've got like water drips all over it because it was just not pretty. So uh, I, I take that word and I kind of put it in the back of my journal and I kind of tuck it into the back of my heart and I think to myself, I don't really want to step off the path. Like I really like the path that I'm on. I'm at, the, I'm at a mega church in Cincinnati doing student ministries with thousands of students. I have so much opportunity. I'm publishing a book. I have a platform that everybody keeps telling me is super important. I have a, I have a gift to teach and I have a picture in my head that it is for, it's for thousands and it's not like I'm on the path to go where I think that the Lord wants me to go and to step off of it doesn't make any sense. But a few months later, I couldn't help but have this uh, conversation with somebody and the Lord shows up again and he starts reminding me of the invitation and I start pressing into that and we as a family start pressing into that because Dave's also was on staff with me at the same church and um, as a family we agreed in March of that year that by the, at the end of the year I would resign from my job and went into this 10-month period of sort of preparing to turn the page uh, and it it did a work in me, and I kept waiting for God to show up and show me what the other page looked like. I kept waiting for a job, or I kept waiting for a door to open, but here comes December, and there's nothing that's happened, and uh, there's, it does not make any sense, and I remember saying to Dave, we were coming home from a trip uh, the last weekend of November, and I remember saying to him, you understand I have to resign from my job this month. He's like, yeah, but you don't have a job. I'm like, I understand that, and I didn't think this would be the place that we were in when we turned this page, but do you, do you believe that this is what the Lord said to me? He's like, yes, I do. And like, then I have, like, I have to quit my job. Like, I have to do this. And so the next week I go in, and he's like, can you just wait till the end of the month, like December 1st, December 30th? And I'm like, no. Like, I know. I knew, I knew what my soul couldn't handle. My soul couldn't celebrate Christmas with these people and in this place. My soul couldn't handle going into the new year. I knew I needed to protect myself from what was the, like, here's the no. And sometimes we face the no, and we let ourselves stay open to it. But the gospel is always about the yes. And so I needed to turn to the yes so that I was facing the yes going into the new year and able to celebrate what was to come. And I knew that my praise was dependent upon my turn. And so December 1st, I walked into the office, and I handed my resignation letter to the person ahead of me. And he looks at me, and he was like, what are you going to do? 
And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I honestly don't know. And he was like, well, are you, and he offers me a different job. I'm like, I don't think I can do that. Like, this is what the Lord said. He said, when I ask you to, like, I think that's staying on the path. Like, I think it's a no. Like, it doesn't make sense, but I have to, like, I have to do this. And so I walked out that day, and I went to Victoria's Secret and bought some $40 sweatpants because, like, if you're going to sit at home for the next, like, month, you want to be, like, in the cutest sweatpants. So I had pockets and stuff. So, um, and, and, you know, that's just what I do. So uh, I, let, I resigned from the vineyard, and I spent the month of December at home. And here's why I say transitioning and staying in the same location is extremely hard because all around me, life stayed the same for everybody, but within me, everything had changed. And suddenly the people that I love and that I had done life with are in the same place doing the same thing, but I'm not invited to be a part of it anymore. And it became this month of just internal struggle of like in and out depression and like trusting and fearing and just ask, I continue to ask the Lord, like, what do you want me to do? And and the only thing that he would give me is just worship. And, and like, there were days where I did not want to worship because I, though my sweatpants were really cute, I had been in them for four days. And I, it didn't feel like worship to me. And there were moments where I literally hit re, repeat on certain worship songs that were speaking to me and around and around. And I would listen to them until I could sing them. And I would just, because you know what? It's really hard to not believe in the goodness of the Lord when you're worshiping. And so I would just hit repeat, and it would take so, so I could tell how bad I was by how many times I had to listen to the song before I could sing it out loud in my house, and like song after song until I proclaimed it over. And I remember going to the Lord like, hey, listen, so I'm trying to publish this book, God, if you didn't understand that, that takes a platform. And right now they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm sitting at home. And um, that's not really what they want to hear. And I felt like the Lord said this to me, which felt really unnecessary. I actually don't care about um, that. And I really want you to go find the people that don't need you to teach and will never read your book. And I thought, well, I've been in the mega church for the past seven years. I don't really know those people, Lord. I have been a commodity to them. It is what, what has brought me to the table is what I had to offer over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, like, you're telling me to go find people that don't care what I bring to the table. If that's really what you want, I need you to help me meet the person that's going to introduce me to those people. And about two days later, like, this will show you how, how low I was. Uh, I got an email from a person I didn't know, and it said, I think I'm supposed to know you. Like, sometimes the Lord is good, and he just puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. I'm like... <laughs> Oh, okay. So I go to lunch with this um, soon-to-be friend, Daniela. I have no idea why I'm having lunch with her, and she proceeds to, um, to have, have no idea why she's having lunch with me, only that she felt like she was supposed to be connected to me, and she starts to talk to me about this old um, firehouse called Hose House Number 4. Now, one time I spelled this wrong, and that didn't work. So H-O-S-E, House Number 4. Okay, like... Here's the thing about hose house number four. Like, it's really fun to talk about in, like, Oh, Charlie's or something when you're just like, oh, yeah, we're going down to the hose house for worship. People are like, what? Like, sometimes God's really funny. Uh, so hose house number four is an abandoned, um, like, firehouse in Hamilton, which is basically the red light district for where I live. It sits next to a brothel and next to a homeless shelter and has a personal owner who has plans to restore it, doesn't love the Lord, but has given it to my friend Daniela for five years to create a house of prayer and worship. 
And, uh, and I wanted to be sure that, like, she didn't know that he, didn't, he doesn't know the Lord. And I'm like, oh, you do. You so do. And so Danielle is sitting in front of me, and she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I have this big vision, but I have no idea how to do this. And mind you, I've, been, I've spent the past two years of my life learning and studying about missional communities and discipleship. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds great. And so I talk to her just a little bit, and I leave, and I'm like, I get in the car, and I shut the door, and I'm like, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? Like, you want me to go to Hamilton and start a missional community in an abandoned firehouse with no electric, no power, uh, the most, most broken place I could be. Like, this is where you want me to spend my space right now? And I really felt like he was like, absolutely, this is what I have for you. And so I called Daniela, and I'm like, I know you don't know me. Um, but when the Lord asked me to do something, like, I really want to be all in. And so, like, you have that house. If you say yes, like, we can do this. Like, we can, we can plan a missional community of people there. We can turn that place into a place of prayer and worship. And, like, I'll, I'll help you. Like, I, I know this about myself. I can get people to places. Like, for some reason, they seem to want to come where I go. So, like, I will partner with that, and we will figure out how to do this. And she's crying and like, oh, da, da, da. so we go to the hose house. And uh, here's what I realized. I, uh, shortly after being there for a couple of months, I realized, oh, this isn't about anything I have to do. This is about what God has for me. And I, I kept, because I kept thinking, like, I'm, I'm so we don't have anything we need. And, and then I would be quickly brought back, oh, but you have everything you need. And I would walk the streets, and there's prostitutes on the corner, and uh, people, I mean, like, there's just drugs all over the place, and homeless people right next door, and uh, heroin addicts all on, on every street. And we're walking these streets with these people, and the whole time inside I'm thinking, these people aren't equipped to share the gospel in this way. And the Lord's like, listen to me. You have more than the disciples ever had, and they changed the whole world. Will you just take them, Jesus? And I just kept thinking, I don't, I don't have what I need. And he kept thinking, I am what you need. He kept coming back to me. And every time I would go to him about this space being uncomfortable and not understanding and what I wasn't seeing, he would point me back to who I was seeing and walk me forward, forward, walk me forward into this journey. And about a year and a half into that, uh, we kind of didn't really have a place to be as a family. We were at the host house. That's what we did. We went to the host house. We were there three times a week. We had church there all the time. That was our church. But my kids were a part of this journey as well, and so we had gone back and forth, like, do we find a more traditional church that's not called the Hose House to take our kids to? Like, do they need a Sunday school? Do they need a class? And it just didn't ever really develop. It didn't ever really happen, and uh, I remember one Sunday, Dave was like, I just can't shake, I can't shake it. I feel like we're supposed to plan a church, and I was like, no, that is a foolish idea. Like, not planning a church. I don't, if someone would have to show up at my door and say, we want you to plan a church for me to think that's what God wants us to do right now. And the next morning I get a call from one of my best friends who we've been in ministry together uh, at that Cincinnati Vineyard, but now he's somewhere else with another one of our best friends. And they're like, we need to meet with you and Dave. And I said, well, Dave's flying to Florida for a month in the next um, week. So I need you to do it tomorrow. And they were like, okay, we'll be there at 6 a.m. I'm like, all right, we'll have coffee. And they come and they sit around our table and we get up and they're like, so uh, we're going to plant a church and we really want you guys to be on our team. And I'm like, I always put my foot in my mouth. And we're like, yeah, we're in. And they're like, you don't even need to think about it. I'm like, nope. If you would have heard what I said yesterday, 
uh, and known that you showed up at my door within 24 hours of me saying I would only do this if this person showed up at my door and said we want you to do this, you wouldn't need to pray about it either. This is pretty much all I need to know. So then we begin to find our treasures on this page, and we be begin to find our purpose. On our space in between prepared our hearts so that we could align ourselves with what God was about to give us that we didn't know we would ever get. And the reality is, no matter where we're going or what we're facing, we have this gift of this space where God, because he cares more about our character than he cares about our competency, sometimes he will come into a place and he will literally say, I'm going to take you away from this because who you are is not who you need to be when you get what I'm about to give you. And we have to trust in his sovereignty in that space between and lean into those gifts. And so I was thinking about my journey and what I had learned. And I just want to share three simple things with you really quickly today as we move to the, um, this piece. Uh, the space between is this. It's about developing a deeper trust. Uh, the place where, this is the place where he becomes Jehovah Jireh. This is the place where he provides. The place where we can't see what's coming, but we can see who's with us. And we step into this place of having to trust. Six months later, after I resigned from the vineyard, I was sitting with Dave at the table. And it was about to be summer, and we have a boat, and we spend the summer on the water. And I'm like, quit your job. Like, let's quit. It's time. Like, we need, our family needs to be in the same place and, like, we can spend the whole summer on the boat and figure out what the Lord's doing. And he looks at me and he said, I just need six more months. In six months, I can walk away from this job and we can be financially ready to just take, we can take whatever we need, take all of the space to figure out what God's doing. Well, would you know that on Tuesday, he walked in and lost his job? Um, because the Lord didn't want us to have six months. The Lord wanted us on a page with only him to look at because he wanted to blow our minds with how good he was. And he wanted to develop our trust because guess what it doesn't take when you know where you're going? It doesn't take blind faith and obedient trust. And so sometimes he turns the page for our good and for his glory because trust is the thing that he wants to develop in us because where we're going, we need a deeper trust in him. We're like children learning to ride a bike and like, my kids, I'm, don't let go until I'm ready. Don't let go. And they're blindly trusting that life without training wheels is better than life with training wheels. They have no idea what they're doing. But they put their trust in my words and in my hand on the back of their bike to let go at the right time. And no one puts the training wheels back on the bike after they've learned how to ride it. Like we don't see sixth graders riding their bikes with training wheels to school. Because what God brings us to he will see us through so that he can get us to that place. And we don't look back and wish that we hadn't turned the page. That's not the gospel truth for our life. No matter how hard it was, we get to a place where everything is good within us because that's his promise. You know, I was having a really bad day. My, two of my favorite stories, I was having a really bad day in December. And so my, one of my love languages, gifts. And so I, I go two places when I feel depressed. I, I don't really go there often because it doesn't do any good to go the places that feed what you're feeling. So I try not to do that. So uh, I would go to TJ Maxx and Target. And, uh, so, and today Joanna Gaines launched her new line. Yeah, uh-huh. So we might go to buy Target on our way to Florida. But uh, I would go there and, and there, were, there were two things during this time in December that I thought I needed, which is really funny. I wanted... Because I had watched every episode of Fixer Upper, I wanted this like wooden cutting board. Now here, I don't even like cook, but.
but I thought it would look really good on my countertop. Like I wanted a thick wooden one. You know, she puts them on in every episode right there on the, and I wanted that. And so I would go to TJ Maxx and I would look at this. And here's something else that's really funny to me, hindsight. I also, I wanted an Apple Watch because like it's hard to see your time when you're teaching and this, and like you can't ever calculate it if it's, di if it's not digital. So, because I can't do math while I'm trying to talk to about, about Jesus. So, uh, I wanted an Apple Watch, but you don't buy Apple Watches when you don't have jobs. So I thought if I could just find a watch that would suffice. And here's the funny thing. Like, I didn't have a job. I wasn't even teaching. But yet I needed a watch for, like, it's like my spirit knew what was coming. And I, I was buying, I was prophesying and what I was purchasing. And so I would go into Target. I would go into TJ Maxx. I would put the products in my car and even walk all the way around. And then I would convince myself that you don't buy cutting boards when you don't cook and you don't buy watches when you don't need them when you don't have jobs. And so by the time I got to finished, I would put them back and I would walk out. So now I wake up one morning and I'm like, Lord, I'm just really struggling. Like, and I know this is a heart problem. Like I, I, need, I need a deeper trust that you've got me and that you've got this. I need, you to, I need you to love me lavishly. Sometimes I say that to Dave. That means go to Target and buy me something. And so the Lord knows that, and he loves me. And so that, that week, two things happened that week. I go to the hose house, and uh, we have a guy who's a carpenter, and he's helping us restore the building, and he's got something behind his back. And he's, like, all nervous. And he walks up to me, and he's like, sometimes when I'm in my wood shop, like, I make these things, and, like, the Lord sort of puts somebody on my heart, and I always feel like I'm supposed to give them to him. And, like, you don't want this. You don't have to have it. And this might seem crazy. And he pulls out this wooden cutting board. And I just, like, start weeping. And he, I mean, I look like a fool. And he's like, it's just the cutting board. I'm like, you have no idea. You have absolutely no idea. And I just, I mean, I almost brought it today because I wanted to show it to you. Because it's not just, like, a plain wooden cutting board. He literally, he, it's checkered with different grains of wood in every checkered. Like, it took hours to make. He handmade it. And the Lord put it in my hands. Because why? Because I said, I need you to help me trust you. I need to know that you love me. And love develops trust. And the next weekend, I was in Columbus with my friend Danielle, and we were at a, a different church visiting somebody that I didn't even know. I just went along for the ride. And uh, she walks out that morning. We're getting ready to go to her church. And she's like, this is going to seem really weird. But like, do you want a watch? And I'm like, shut up. She's like, I just bought this watch, and I, I went to put it on, and I feel like the Lord told me I'm supposed to give it to you. And I'm like, you totally are. <laughs> she's, she's, I'm like, I know, that's crazy, but I, I, like, here's what's happening, and the Lord is wooing me. Like, he's wooing me deeper into this trust with him because he's about to give me something to do, and, like, I need to have deeper roots in trust and love. And so I took that watch, man. It was great. And... I was like, let me know if you want it back. You change your mind. She's like, no, if God tells me to give you something, I want to give it to you. And here's the thing. He wants to, he has a table of abundance prepared for you. And here's what we do in life. We tend to bring what we have and we think we have to have something to offer to come to this table. And sometimes he turns the pages just so we can recognize it's not about anything we have, anything we can do, or anything we can bring. It's about everything he wants to give. And there are some times when our hands are full of all of the things on the page where we know how to do life, that we are too full to receive what he has to give us. And because he's a good father, he turns the pages and empties our hands. And he brings us up to a table of so many gifts. You know what it says in James? 
1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He's, he is a gift. He's a good gift giver. And if you have it in your life, it's because it is for your good and for his glory. And because of that, we can praise no matter what page we're on, no matter where we're at, and no matter what we're facing. He gave me the gift at the host house of being a daughter. My daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he will move mountains to get me wherever he needs me and wherever I want to be. And, like, I happen to be his favorite. <laughs> like, I'll make room at the table for you, right? You can sit there. I'm just his favorite. And you're not going to convince me otherwise. Not after, not after my space between and everything that he did to give me exactly what I needed to sustain life right where I was. He's just too good for me to think otherwise. The second thing is this. It is about what he has to offer and not what you want to give. I kind of just went into that. Let me tell you this one story. I was terrified about here's my kids who have grown up in this church. They don't know anything but this church. And part of turning the page was that I was so afraid that they couldn't handle what they didn't know. And my heart, my heart just broke for them when Dave lost his job because they just started asking all of these, why would they do that? Daddy's the best children. I know, I know, I don't know, Ella, but I, you know what I, I do know? I do know that I trust God. I do know that he has a plan. I do know that he is good. And I do know that this makes sense on the other side. And I, like, we just have to trust in what we can't see right now. And to, I literally would say what I needed to say to them and then walk in the other room and just burst into tears and get myself back together and come back out because the Lord is like, you let me transition your kids. You don't protect them from the pain of leaving something behind and walking because they are going to experience the goodness of the Lord. Because he wanted to give them something to them. And so many times as parents, we sometimes think it's our job to protect our kids from unnecessary pain. Or uh, we want to protect them from hard transitions. But the reality is my kids know Jesus differently because of what happened to us. And because they got to walk it with me. They got to walk in the reality of what it was. And we were as honest as we could be with them in the midst of it. And one day we were driving. Ella decided to start her own little business, which is what she does. She's 12 and owns my whole life. So she wanted to contribute to the hose house, and she started making these, these bracelets, and she called them Hope Jewelry. And, you know, of course, I'm like, oh, let's put this scripture with it, and let's make this. That She's like, Mom, I'm just going to make bracelets. And so one day we're driving down the street, and she's like, Mom, I really want a store for my bracelets. I'm like, Ella, we don't even have jobs. Like, I'm not getting you a store for your bracelets. Like, we don't, we don't have jobs. Like, that, the only way that that's going to happen is if the Lord gives you a, a store. So the next day I get a message on Facebook from uh, my friends, like not really friends, my acquaintances who have just opened their store called Made to Love in Hamilton. And they said, we heard through the grapevine that your daughter's making these bracelets and she's selling them to raise money for the host house in Hamilton. We would really love to talk to you about this. Everything in our store is 100% uh, profits and they all go back into Haiti or they go back into Hamilton locally. And we really feel like there's a place for her bracelets in our store. And I'm like, I almost went and signed her out of school. I'm like, what? Like, I picked her up and she gets in the car and I'm like, just answer me one question. Did you even pray about it? Like, did you even ask him? And she was like, no. And I'm like, that's so the Lord. Because don't you sometimes as parents overhear some of the things that your kids say? And you go out of your way to just bless them because you know that somewhere, someday they talked about it. Like, he was in that car with us in that moment. And he heard the desires of, his, of her heart, of his little daughter's heart. And he thought, you know, I don't have to do that. 
I don't have to do that. And she actually hasn't even asked me about it yet, but I'm just going to blow her mind and I'm going to give her something. He's a good gift giver. And sometimes when we stay on the pages that we're not supposed to be on anymore, we miss out on what he wants to give us. And sometimes when we shelter the people that we love and we think that we're protecting them, we actually cause them to miss out on the gifts that he wants to give us. Because guess who got all the glory for that little store? He did. I didn't have a job. Dave didn't have a job. We didn't find a store. Uh, We didn't pray about it. I said, no, actually, I shut the door and said, it's not going to happen. And the Lord said, oh, no, 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 I'm going to give a gift to your daughter because I want to teach her who I am. The final thing is this, the space between is not about your timeline. I was out on a run. I was almost finished. He told me to turn left. He added a half a mile onto my run. He tacked on four minutes, and it just so happened to be up a stinking hill the whole time. It just isn't about our timeline, and we like to transition, and we like to transition fast. We want to know, and we want to get there quickly. And do you know what? God's not in a hurry, ever. He doesn't submit to time in the way that we do. He's not controlled by it. He doesn't get angst over it. He's not worried about it. In fact, he would prefer to walk very slowly to the place that you're going. Because why? Because it's not about where you're going as much as it's about who you're becoming as you get there. He cares so much about your character development that he literally will walk in circles with you until you get the point of what he's trying to do. And I, when, I remember when I realized this, and I, I thought, oh, Lord, you make me quick to surrender. You make me quick to surrender because I want to know you and I want to experience everything you have for me and my family. And so rather than spend this time resisting and relying on myself and trying to make sense of what I don't know, you just make me quick to throw my hands up. And I get this as a parent because I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old who in my mind are still 5 and 7. And I think to myself, in 8 years, my youngest is 18 and we're turning a page and like 8 years can't go slow enough to be honest. I want every second I have with them. I want, I'm gonna, I, want every, I want them to call me 500 times on my drive to Florida today because guess what? Someday they're not going to do that. And I have a specific period of time on this page with them and I want to make the most of every space that I have. And I have to believe that's the heart of the Father. I have to believe he looks at every page as an intimate adventure and relationship builder with us and that he's thinking, I want every second I can have with him. Because when we turn this page, it goes somewhere else and they need something else and I am someone else to them. But right now, where they know me as Jehovah Jireh, where they know me as the provider, where they know me as the savior, I want everything in this. And I want it to take as long as it needs to take because he wants relationship. He wants that experience with us, and he's just not in a hurry. Our spiritual spiritual maturity is measured in the amount of time it takes us to surrender to this idea. To surrender to the fact that God will slow down to experience depth and intimacy in relationship with us and to let go of our need to get there quicker and to trust the process, and to trust the page. You know, one of my favorite verses, it says this in Psalm 78, David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands. Now, David's hands were the hands of a shepherd boy. I'm not really sure they were that skillful with a big fat ring on his finger leading a country, but if you, if you look in uh, the Hebrew, the word skillful hands is kaph, K-A-P-H, and it actually means this, hollowed out hands. 
So the picture that it gives me is the picture of hands with holes in them. And the Lord said David led them with skillful hands. He led them with hands with holes in them. And because of the holes in his hands and his ability to hold on to nothing other than his relationship with the Father, it was deemed skillful in the kingdom. And it, it moved, brought in a worship movement that changed the direction of relationship with our Father. Skillful hands are not necessarily hands that can do a lot, but they're hands that can be open a lot. And what the Lord is looking for is empty hands because he wants to put things in them. He wants to fill them and he wants to freely take things out of them. And as we live our lives on our pages, what he's looking for are not hands that can do a lot of things, but hands that can stay surrendered and open to what he wants to put in them. And I think about where's Waldo as we wrap up and um, the band can come up if that's what you want to do. Uh, I think about this book, and here's, here's one of my fears when turning pages. You get to a page, and you finally find yourself, right? And you not only find yourself, but you find your people, and you find, you find your niche. You find what you're good at. You find what you love. And, and then the invitation comes to turn the page. And here's the fear in turning the page. Like, I don't know where I am on this page. I don't really know who I am. And and not, even more important than not knowing who I am, I don't know who God is on this page. Because God on this page was my rescuer and my redeemer. He pulled me out of a life of sin. He gave me a new story. He showered me with forgiveness and grace. He set my feet upon the rock so I would stop sinking in the mud. But then I turn the page and I go into ministry and I don't know this God over here. He's different than who he was. Not that I lost what he was, but there's a new form of him that he wants to introduce me to. And then I turn this next page, and all of a sudden, I don't need uh, God in the same way I've needed him. I actually need him in a new way. And I haven't lost what I had, but there's an invitation to find him differently. And I remember I was at Kroger one day when Addie was little. And, you know, the, whoever invented those, like, small shopping carts is from the enemy. Um, it's a t I don't know if you have Kroger or if you have small shopping carts, but like my answer is just no. Like, no, we don't do, because I, I value my heels and I value the lives of my children. And like, I don't want to not like them. And so I just say no, but we were in a hurry and I was just running in for a second and I didn't even really need a cart. And so I said, yes, downfall of everything good. I said yes to the little cart. I fill it with the dessert. We go, we check out. I'm checking out. Addie says to me, Mom, I'm going to put the cart back. And I said, okay, which is another thing I didn't know. I'm not even facing where she's going, but I was in a hurry. And she goes to put the cart back. I turn around and I grab the bags to leave. And I look at Ella and I, I look where I would think Adeline would be, but she's not there. And I look at Ella because she's more responsible than I am. And I'm like, what would you do with your sister? She's like, you're the one that told her she could put the cart back. I don't know where she is. And so I had this panic of I just lost my kid in Kroger and I don't know what to do. And I, I run to the door. And you know how the doors kind of open and close on their own in Kroger? I got to this place where I was between the door and it had opened. And I had one leg out and one leg in. And I, I froze in that place because I started to panic. Like, if I go out, the doors close and shut me off from what is. If I, if I stay in, the doors close and shut me off from what's out. And 
I just remember not knowing what to do, and it was only five seconds, but it felt like five minutes to be a mom and to not know where your kid is. And then Adeline comes running around the corner, and she was so proud, and her little ponytail's bouncing. I put it back. I went the long way to put it back, and I'm like, no, don't ever do that again. And I got in the car, and I was in this place with the Lord, and he was like, do you see what you're doing? Like, the only place that you were not useful to your child was stuck in between the revolving doors, not moving anywhere. Frozen in panic, not wanting to fully go out and see if she was outside, but also not wanting to stay in and let the doors close and find her on the inside, I stood in the middle and actually did nothing. I did nothing to help find her in this place. And here's what I feel like the Lord has for you today. If you're in the middle, he wants you to step forward or he would rather you step back. Because in this place, not moving, you are actually frozen and he's waiting to give you the gifts that he has for you. And here's what I want to do. I want to just raise the temperature of faith in this room because I think there's people in this room who know that you know that you know that you need to turn a page. Whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in a job, whether it's in a a new, new page as a family, whether it's in your journey on discipleship, whether it's your journey of committing something to the Lord that he's been asking for for a long time, you know that you know there's a page to turn. And you stand in this in-between because you don't want to lose what you know and the comfort of what you've finally grown accustomed to, but you're also frozen because you're terrified to step into what you don't know. And I just want to raise the level of trust in this room. Your dad is a good dad. He cares far more about the thing he's asking for than you do. He cares far more about you than you do. He cares far more about your family. He cares more about your marriage. He cares more about your kids. He cares more about your finances. He's got this. He needs you to trust him. And he needs you to step through the door. And today I feel there is an invitation for some people in this room to turn some pages. I don't know what your pages look like because I don't even know you. But I feel that in my spirit right now. And I just want to use this response time for you to turn some pages. For some of you, it might be physical. But for most of you, it might be spiritual. There's something inside that needs to turn. Something that was that needs to go. Something that is that needs to come. Something that needs to be rended and let go of. Because there's new things that he wants to put in your hands. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And they're going to go into a song of response. And I just... I don't want you to start with your hands open. Like, actually, you can just put your hands down. But I want you, in, in your time, when you feel moved by the Spirit, to just open your hands to the Lord. Symbolizing outwardly what you're doing inwardly. Just make a statement to Him. Lord, I trust you to put good things in my hands. Will you stand with me? I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, I give you this time. Um, I, I, I give you the space to do what you want to do. And I pray right now for courage this room be filled with courage, Father. Where there is doubt, you show up and you just take that doubt away. Where there is fear, you show up and provide faith. Pray for open hands today, right now, Lord. You do what you need to do and you move our hearts to a place of deeper trust. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.